What's up, infinite casters, infinite cast heads, infinite casterinos? <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been um I've been uh cutting down on coffee. Can't drink that coffee. It makes me makes me kind of crazy, you know? Mm. So yeah, I've been cutting down. I've been drinking green tea. Is that that's the kind of thing that yeah, he like yeah. intros the I'm in uh, the I'm in the garage with the books and the cats. <laughs> uh, I'm now I'm just imagining uh, Mark Maron asking David Foster Wallace, "Who are your guys?" I'm sure David Foster Wallace has guys. Who do you think David Foster Wallace's guys are? Um, who's the v- Wittgenstein? Wittgenstein. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's it. His parents. Uh, I'm just imagining um, him getting asked that question and him being uh, you know being like. Yeah, you, you know, I saw Bill Hicks in uh, 86, and that really opened my mind, you know. Mm-hmm. I remember, uh, of course, Carlin. Carlin's the the, the master. Uh, I don't know. My guys. My guys. My hungry, my hungry guys. My hungry guys. Um, anything? I'm, I'm hoping for a real, uh, a real knee slapper of a segment, a gut buster. Uh, maybe a head scratcher okay all right a dick puncher i'll try to i'll try to give you what you what you want a dick puncher i'm not sure uh, do you really want a dick puncher i mean i don't know okay you can decide uh, let's <laughs> wonder if it just imagining a, a blurb for a you know j- jacket blurb for a book be, being like <laughs> margaret atwood says yeah, this, this novel this is a real, real punch in the, this, this a real, a real punch, punch in the, in the dick, dick. <laughs> a real a tour de force a real punch in the a tour dick. De force, uh <laughs> oh uh, uh stu- stunningly poignant a punch in the dick <laughs> the new Phil, sally Philip, rooney novel philip roth <laughs> philip roth <laughs> Phil, philip roth does write dick punching uh shit i will say that okay here's a, one more question for the intro before we go go on has mark Marin read infinite jest um i I, he seems like the type to to do it. I mm-hmm. feel like he'd be interested in it, but I'm like, who has? Does he have the time? You know, know, he seems like kind of a busy guy. Maybe before he started the pod, yeah. When he I, when he seems like he really wasn't doing much. Yeah, so I, I mean, he's. I feel like he's constantly he's like podding. He's usually got at least one acting job. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but you know, what is time? But uh, what is a man is nothing but time and juices. Yeah, his his juices and time. Yeah, juices and time. All right, let's get into it. Yes. Very late October, YDAU. Hal Incandenza has this horrible new recurring dream where he was losing his teeth, where his teeth had oh, become classic. like shale and I have, that, I have those dreams sometimes. My, mine is always like my teeth are loose. Loose teeth on prom night was my last one. So that combined high yeah. school anxiety and um, teeth anxiety yeah. was not fun. Where his teeth had become like shale and splintered when he tried to chew and fragmented and melted into grit in his mouth. In the dream, he was going around squeezing a ball and spitting fragments and grit, getting more and more hungry and scared. Everything in there loosened by a great oral rot that the nightmares Teddy Shacked wouldn't even look at, saying he was late for his next appointment. Everyone Hal saw seeing Hal's crumbling teeth and looking at their watch and making vague excuses. A general atmosphere of the splintering teeth being a symptom of something way more dire and distasteful that no one wanted to confront him about. He was pricing dentures when he woke. It was about an hour before dawn drills. His keys were on the floor by the bed with his college college board prep books. Mario's great iron bed was empty and made up tight, all five pillows neatly stacked. Mario had been spending the last few nights over at HMH, sleeping on an air mattress in the living room in front of Tavis's Tatsuoka receiver, listening to WYYY109 into the wee hours, weirdly agitated about Madame Psychosis's unannounced sabbatical from the 60 minutes plus slash minus midnight thing where she had been an unvarying M to F presence for several years, it seemed like. WYYY had been evasive and unforthcoming about the whole thing. For two days, some Alto grad student had tried to fill in, billing herself as misdiagnosis, <laughs> reading Horkheimer and Adorno against a background of Partridge family slowed down to a narcotized slur. <laughs> at no time, chopped and screwed. Yeah, at no, at no time uh, had anyone of managerial slowed and revered. <laughs> at no time had anyone of managerial pitch or timber managed mentioned Madame Psychosis or what her story was or her date of expected return. Hal had told Mario that the silence was a positive sign, that if she'd left the air for good, the station would have had to say something. 
Hal, Coach Stitt, and the moms had all remarked Mario's odd mood. Mario was usually next to impossible to agitate, which takes us to end note 180. But Avril had gotten former MIT number one men's singles Corbett Thorpe to drive Mario <laughs> down to VF Ricky's cerebral student union thing where Thorpe used his old student ID thumb over expiration date to get them past the security, security lady at the rectus bulbi and down to the YYY studio's freezing pink basement where the only person who didn't talk like an angry cartoon character, a severely carbuncular man at the engineer's board, would, by way of comment, point only at a tripartite onion skin screen that stood folded beneath a handless wall clock, possibly signifying that no hiatus could be all that long if the absent party hadn't taken her trusty screen. Mario hadn't had any idea MP'd used a screen on air. That's when he'd gotten agitated. <laughs> Back to the text. Now WYYY was back to running 60 minutes more or less without anybody at all behind the, at the helm. For the past several nights, Mario had lain there uh, in a sarcophagally tapered sleeping bag of Gore-Tex and Fibrofil and listened to them run the weird static ambient musics Madame Psychosis uses for background, but now without any spoken voice as foreground. And the static, momentumless music as subject instead of environment is somehow terribly disturbing. Hal listened to a few minutes of the stuff and told his brother, it sounded like somebody's mind coming apart right before your ears. That's that segment. Mm. Yeah, we haven't caught up with Madame Psychosis in a while. Well, she's, uh, as of the November YDAU, she's just popped over to uh, uh, en- uh, uh, Enfield Drug and Alcohol, and alcohol Recovery House. House. 9th November, year as a dependent adult undergarment. The Enfield Tennis Academy has an accredited capacity of 148 junior players, of whom 80 are to be male, but an actual fall YDAU population of 95 paying and 41 scholarship students, so 136, of which 72 are female right now for some reason, meaning that while there's room for 12 more, preferably full tuition, junior players, there ought ideally to be fully 16 more males than there are, meaning Charles Tavis and co. are wanting to fill all 12 available spots with males. Plus, they wouldn't exactly mind, as is the general scuttlebutt, if half a dozen or so of the better girls left before graduation and tried for the show, simply because housing more than 68 girls means putting some in the male dorms, which creates tensions and licensing and conservative parent problems, given that co-ed hall bathrooms are not a good idea, but with all the adolescent glands firing all over the place. Mm-hmm. It also means that, since there are twice as many male pro-rectors as female, AM drills have to be complexly staggered, the boys in two sets of 32, the girls in three of 24, which creates problems in terms of early PM classes for the lowest-ranked C-squad girls who drill last. Matriculations, gender quotas, recruiting, financial aid, room assignments, mealtimes, rankings, class versus drill schedules, pro-rector hiring, accommodating changes in drill schedule consequent to a player's movement up or down or squad. It's all the sort of thing that's uninteresting unless you're the one responsible, in which case it's cholesterol-raising, least stressful, and complex. Have we ever gotten any kind of confirmation in this book whether Enfield Tennis Academy is good at what it does? It is good. It sends... It's... Uh, I'm not sure if they've referenced anyone who's gone to the show, but certainly people have gone to good colleges and they've gone to, to the um, tennis third world country uh, uh, circuit. circuit. <laughs> I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I just, I'm just realizing that I don't think that there's ever been so far in the book any confirmation about whether or not like people, you know, it's, it's you know, there, there's like a waiting list or people are like trying to get into it or anything. I mean, maybe this is what the se- segment But it's is also, into. it's it's not, it's not a like a long-term thing. Like it was started in uh, himself's lifetime. So it's not like it's like a, yeah. you know, the Enfield Tennis Academy founded in, in 1887. 18, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's good, but but um, uh, they're trying to like get like a signature, like they're really excited about John Wayne because he's like the best player that they've ever had. Right. Mm, the stress of all the complexities and priorities to be triaged and then weighted against one another gets Charles Tavis out of bed in the headmaster's house at an ungodly hour most mornings, his sleep-swollen face twitching with permutations. He stands in leather slippers at the living room window, looking southeast past west and center courts at the array of A-team players assembling stiffly in the gray glow, carrying gear with their heads down and some still asleep on their feet. God. The first bit of snout of the sun. I'm so glad I didn't have to deal with this, like, morning sports practice for schools. 
So our school schedule is so fucked up. It's so stupid that we make children go to school at like seven in the morning. So early. Um, yeah, no. I'll, we'll talk about after about sports because I have some thoughts. Okay. <laughs> We're going from God to sports. Uh, the first bit of snout of the sun protruding through the city's little skyline far beyond them. The aluminum glints of river and sea east. Tavis's hands working nervously around the cup of hazelnut decaf that steams upward into his face as he holds it, hair unarranged and one side hanging, high forehead up against the window's glass so he can feel the mean chill of the dawn just outside, his lips moving slightly and without sound. The thing, it's not entirely impossible he may have fathered asleep up next to the sound system with its claws on its chest and four pillows for bradypnea-afflicted breathing that sounds like soft repetitions of the words sky or ski, making no unnecessary sound, not eager to wake it and have to interface with it and have it look up at him with a terrible calm and accepting knowledge it's quite possible is nothing but Tavis's imagination. So lips moving without sound but breath and cup steam spreading on the glass and little icicles from the rainy melt of yesterday's snow hanging from the anodized gutters just above the window and seen by Tavis as a distant skyline upside down. In the lightning sky, the same two or three clouds seem to move back and forth like sentries. The heat comes on with a distant whoom and the glasses (laughs) against his forehead tremble slightly. A hiss of low static from the speaker, it had fallen into sleep without turning off. The A-team's array keeps shifting and melding as they await shtit. Permutations of complications. Well, interesting uh, uh, way to refer to Mario in there mm-hmm. as it. Uh, Tavis watches the boys stretch and confer and sips from the cup with both hands, the concerns of the day assembling themselves in a sort of tree diagram of worry. Charles Tavis knows what James and Condensa could not have cared le- about less. The key to the successful administration of a top-level junior tennis academy lies in cultivating a kind of reverse Buddhism, a state of total worry. (laughs) So the best ETA player's special perk is they get hauled out of bed at dawn, still crusty-eyed and pale with sleep, to drill in the first shift. That sucks. Dawn drills are, of course, al fresco until they erect and inflate the lung, which Helen Condenza hopes is soon. His circulation is poor because of tobacco and or marijuana, and even with his Dunlop down both legs sweatpants and a turtleneck and thick old white alpaca tennis jacket that had been his father's and has to be rolled up at the sleeves, he's sullen and chilled, Hal is, and by the time they've run the pre-stretch sprints up and down the ETA hill four times, swinging their sticks madly in all directions and, at A. Delin's dictate, making various half-hearted warrior noises, (laughs) Hal is both chilled and wet and his sneakers squelch from dew as he hops in place and looks at his breath, wincing as the cold air hits the one bad tooth. Oh, this sucks. Also, yeah, I would just like to say, Boston is cold. Yes. Boston is like one of the, to me, like Boston felt colder than Vermont. Well, you got the, it's you got the like ocean right there. stones and the sea air, <laughs> and it's the wind comes through these Wet angles from the buildings. and gray and stony. Sucks. <laughs> I hate it. By the time they're all stretching out, lined up in rows along the service and baselines, flexing and bowing, genuflicting to nothing, changing p- postures at the sound of a whistle, by this time the sky has lightened to the color of kaopectate. The Athme fans are idle and the ETAs can hear birds. Smoke from the stacks of the Sunstrand complex plex is weakly sunlit as it hangs in plumes, completely still as it painted on the air. Tiny cries and a repetitive scream for help come up from someplace downhill to the west, presumably Enfield Marine. This is the one time of day that Charles doesn't look bright blue. The pines' birds don't sound any happier than the players. The grounds' non-pines are bare and canted at circuitous hillside angles all up and down the hill when they sprint again, four more times, then on bad days, another four, maybe the most hated part of the day's conditioning. Somebody always throws up a little. It's like the drills reveille. The river at dawn. <laughs> I just remember my friends uh, trying to convince me to do cross country sports or cross country running with them uh, in high school, and I was like, I don't know, man, that doesn't sound very interesting. And they're like, it's great. You you run until you puke, and then you run some more. And I was like, that's not. You're not selling me on this. Yeah, I've ne- I've never never have I ever puked because of working out. Yeah. Um, and I don't think and I don't, ever I don't want think to. you've really ever worked out then, Molly. Oh, p- pish posh applesauce. The river at dawn is a strip of foil's dull side. 
Kyle Coyle keeps saying it's co-wo-walled. <laughs> All the lesser players are still abed. Today there's multiple retching from last night's sweets. Hal's breath hangs before his face uh, until he moves through it. Sprints produce the sick sound of mulch, much squelching. Everyone wishes the hill's grass would die. It sucks that they have to sprint holding their tennis rackets. Yeah. Oh, at least it gives you something to do. Yeah. Wave around the wave around the racket. Uh, 24 girls are drilled in groups of six on four of the center courts. The 32 boys, minus rather ominously J.J. Penn, are split by rough age into fours and take a semi-staggered eight of the east course, courts. Stitt is up in his little observational crow's nest, a sort of apse at the end of the iron transom players call the tower that extends west to east over the centers of all three sets of courts and terminates with the nest high above the show courts. He has a chair and an ashtray up there. Sometimes from the courts, you can see him leaning over the railing, tapping the edge of the bullhorn with his weatherman's pointer. From the west and center courts, the rising sun behind him gives his white head a pinkish corona. When he's seated, you just see misshapen smoke rings coming up out of the nest and moving off with the wind. The sound of the bullhorn is scarier when you can't see him. The waffled iron stairs leading up to the transom are west of the west courts, all the way across from the nest. So sometimes Stitt paces back and forth along the transom with his pointer behind his back, his boots ringing out on the iron. Stitt seems immune to all weather and always dresses the same for drills, the warm-ups, and boots. When the ETA's strokes or plays being filmed for study, Mario and Condensa is positioned on the railing of Stitt's nest, leaning way out and filming down, his police lock protruding into empty air with somebody beefy assigned to stand behind him and grip the back of the Velcro vest. <laughs> it always scares hell out of Hal because you can never see Dunkel or Nwangi behind Mario, and it always looks like he's leaning way out to dive Bolex first down onto Court 7's net. It's very dangerous. Yes. Uh, At least he's got a spotter. Yeah. Except during periods of disciplinary conditioning, alfresco AM drills work like this. A pro rector is at each relevant court with two yellow ball hopper brand baskets of used balls, plus a ball machine, which machine looks like an open footlocker with a blunt muzzle at one end pointed across the net at a quartet of boys and connected by long orange industrial cords to a three-pronged outdoor outlet at the base of each light pole. Some of the light poles cast long, thin shadows across the courts as soon as the sun is strong enough for there to be shadows. In summertime, players try to sort of huddle in the thin lines of shade. Orthostice keeps yawning and shivering. John Wayne wears a small, cold smile. Hal hops up and down in his capacious jacket and plum turtleneck and looks at his breath and tries, all a lyle, to focus very intently on the pain of his tooth without judging it as bad or good. <laughs> Katie Coyle... Out of the infirmary after the weekend, opines that he doesn't see why the better player's reward for hard slogging to the upper rungs is dawn drills, while, for instance, Pemulus and the Weichmeister et, et al. are still horizontal and sawing logs. Coyle says this every morning. Stice tells him he's surprised at how little they've missed him. Coyle is from the small Tucson, Arizona suburb of Erythema, Erythema? and claims to have thin desert blood <laughs> and special sensitivity to the wet chill of Boston's dawn. The Whataburger Jr. Invitational is a sort of double-edged Thanksgiving homecoming for Coyle, who at 13 was lured from Tucson's own Rancho Vista Golf and Tennis Academy by promises of self-transcendence from Stitt. I could go for a Whataburger. <laughs> sure. I've never had a Whataburger. Uh, also, I was going to say the the little ball hopper things, you know, those little like cage things you use to pick up tennis balls. Mm -hmm. uh, have you ever used one of those? Mm -mm. Uh, that's probably the best part about playing tennis is going around <laughs> afterwards and picking up all the balls with uh, the ball hopper thing. You can just kind of like fluck them um, up into the, the cage by just pressing down on them. That with sounds the thin fun. wires. Yeah, I would, I would do that. That's what I always look forward to when I was being drilled in tennis, uh -huh. being forced to play tennis. Drills work like this. Eight different emphases on eight different courts. Each quartet starts at a different court and rotates around. The top four traditionally start drills on the first court. Backhands down the line, two boys to a side. Corbett Thorpe lays down squares of electrician's tape at the court's corners, and they are strongly encouraged to hit the balls into the little squares. Hal hits with Stice, Coyle with Wayne. Axford's been sent down with Shaw and Struck for some reason. Second court, four hands, same deal. Stice consistently misses the square and gets a low pH rejoinder from Tex Watson, hatless and pattern balding at 27. Hal's tooth hurts and his ankle is stiff and the cold balls come off his strings with a dead sound like chung. 
<laughs> Tiny bratwursts of smoke ascend rhythmically from Stitt's little nest. Third chord is butterflies, a complex VAPS deal where Hal hits a backhand down the line to Stice while Coyle forehands it to Wayne and then Wayne and Stice cross-court the balls back to Hal and Coyle who have to switch sides without bashing into each other and hit back down the line now to Wayne and Stice respectively. Wayne and Hal amuse themselves by making their cross-court balls collide on every fifth exchanger show. This is known around ETA as atom smashing and is understandably hard to do. And the collided balls sprung wildly out onto the other practice courts. And Rick Dunkel is less amused than Wayne and Hal are, so nicely warm now at arms singing, they're shunted quickly onto the fourth court. Volleys for depth, then for angle, then lobs and overheads which ladder drill can be converted into a disciplinary puker if a pro rector is feeding you the lobs. The overhead drill is called tap and whack. Hal pedals back, terribly ankle conscious, jumps, kicks out, nails Stice's lob, then has to sprint up and tap the net's tape with his Dunlop's head as Stice lobs deep again, and Hal has to backpedal again and jump and kick and hit it and so on. So it's like a return with a suicide? Exactly. Then Hal and Coyle, I would like someone to animate this for me just to, because I have a really bad spatial um, con- conception. Again, this whole segment would make a really good, uh, maybe like an opening to an episode where you just shoot it very elegantly in all slow motion, just like with, with like intense, a Chopin yeah, nocturne or something. Yeah, exactly. With intense focus on detail and then, uh, you know. Get like a choreographer to make it very all very balletic, but then also focus on the misery of the, of yeah. the, the poor children and the discomfort of Hal and the officiousness of Stitt and uh, and everything. You know, Sl- a slow motion uh, Adam smashing shot of yeah. the two balls. Uh, yeah, you know, da, 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 and you see two balls up uh, <laughs> smash into each other. Yeah, yeah, I would love that. Yeah, uh, sort of like tennis ASMR. Uh, <laughs> then Hal and Coyle both sucking wind after 20 uh, and trying to stand up straight feed lobs to Wayne and Stice neither of whom is fatigable as far as anyone can tell you have to kick out on overheads to keep your balance in the air overhead Stitt uses an unamplified bullhorn and careful enunciation to call out for everyone to hear that Mr. Revenant Hal and Condenso was letting the ball get the little much behind him on overheads <laughs> fears of the ankle maybe Hal raises his stick in acknowledgement without looking up. To hang in past age 14 here is to become immune to humiliation from staff. Coyle tells Hal between the lobs they send up he'd love to see Stitt have to do 20 tap and wax in a row. <laughs> They're all flushed to a shine, all chill washed off, noses running freely and heads squeaking with blood, the sun well above the sea's dull glint and starting to melt the frozen slush from eye days snow and rain that night custodians had swept into little wedged lines up against the lengthwise fences, which grimy wedges are now starting to melt and run. There's no mo- God, it's there's snow on the courts, man. Put the lung up. Put the lung up. There's still no movement in the sunstrand stacks' plumes. The watching pro-rectors stand easy with their legs apart and their arms crossed over their rackets' faces. The same three or four booger-shaped clouds seem to pass back and forth overhead, and when they cover the sun, people's breath reappears. Stice blows on his racket hand and cries out thinly for the inflation of the lung. <laughs> Mr. A.F. DeLint ranges behind the fence with his clipboard and whistle, blowing his nose. The girls behind him are too bundled up to be worth watching, their hair rubber-banded into little bouncing tails. Fifth court. Serves to both corners of both boxes, catching each other's serves and serving them back. First serves, second serves, slice serves, shank serves, and back-snapping American twist serves that Stice begs off of, telling the pro-rector, Neil Hardigan, who's two meters tall and of so few words everyone fears him by default, he's having lower spasms from a mispositioned bed. Uh, if you recall, Stice is having his uh, his furniture in his dorm room rearranged Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then Coyle, he of the weak bladder and suspicious discharge, gets excused to go back into the tree line out of sight of the die staffs and pee, so the other three get a minute to jog over to the pavilion and stand with their hands on their hips and breathe and drink Gatorade out of little conic paper cups you can't put down till they're empty. I love the cone cups. I think love we've already talked cups. about this, but it's... it's Should it's, we get some? I guess that's a little wasteful. I don't, what would we... Uh, maybe. We'll think about it. Uh, why isn't there a bathroom near the drill sites? I don't there know. There should at least be like an outhouse or something. Yeah, pour a potty or something. What do the girls do? Exactly. 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 Uh, maybe they get to go inside because they're girls and they're, yeah. they're fancy. They get special. Um, here, here's an image for you. Did you ever have maybe like an older relative who had 
like a stack of small Dixie cups in the bathroom for uh, mouth rinsing? Uh, not a relative, but yes, I am familiar with this concept. The, the real small had. little ones. Yeah. And I always like, but here's the thing. I'm like, did, did I swish? Did I swish and rinse? Yes. Did I also just t- get little tiny cups of drinking water? Yes. yes. Very satisfying. <laughs> small things are fun. Anyway, where am I? <laughs> the way you flush out a cottony mouth between drills is you take a mouthful of Gatorade and puff out your cheeks to make a globe of liquid that you mangle with your teeth and tongue then lean out and spit out into the grass and then take another drink for real. The sixth court is returns of serve down the line, down the center, cross court for depth, then for placement, then for deep placement with more taped squares, then chipped center and cross returns against a server who follows his serve to the net. The server practices half volleys off the chips, although Wayne and Stice are so fast that they're on top of the net by the time the return gets to them and they can volley it away at chest height. Wayne drills with the casual economy of someone who's in about second gear. The <laughs> urns dispenser's cups can't stand up. Their bottoms are pointy and they'll spill any liquid still in them is why you have to empty them. Between squads, hards guys will sweep the pavilion of dozens of cones. Then blessedly on the seventh court, physically undemanding finesse drills. Drops, drops for angles, topspin lobs, extreme angles, drops for extreme angles, then restful micro-tennis. Tennis inside the service lines. Very soft and precise. Radical angles, much encouraged. Touch and artistry-wise, nobody comes close to Hal in micro-tennis. By this time, Hal's turtleneck is soaked through under the alpaca jacket, and exchanging it for a sweatshirt out of the gear bag is a kind of renewal. It's an uncomfortable feeling, being sweaty when it's cold. What wind uh, there is down here is out of the south. The temperature is now probably in the low 10s Celsius. I don't know what that is. Uh, 30s? 30s? 40s? 40s? The sun's been up an hour. and probably you can 40s because freezing is zero. Zero. And you can almost see the light pole and transom shadows rotating slowly northwest. The sunstrand stacks as plumes stand there, cigarette straight, not even seeming to spread at the top. The sky is going a glassy blue. No tennis balls required on the final court. Wind sprints. Probably the less said about wind sprints, the better. Then more Gatorade, which Hal and Coyle are breathing too hard to enjoy as shit comes slowly down from the transom. It takes a while. You can hear his steel-toed boots hit each iron step. There's something creepy about a very fit older man, to say nothing of jack boots with phyllo warm-ups of claret-colored silk. How about this for shit if he would do it? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm. I could see that. Actually, I could really see that. Like an old man Schwarzenegger? Yeah. He'd have to keep, I mean, that's not a problem for him, to keep in shape. Yeah, a a jacked older Austrian man. Yeah, that's that's as close as you can get, basically. Stitt's crew cut and face are nacreous as he moves east in the yellowing AM light. This is sort of the signal for all the quartets to gather at the show courts. Behind them, the girls are still hitting ground strokes in Baroque combinations, much high-pitched grunting and the lifeless chung of cold hit balls. Three fourteens are made to squeegee the more extrusive melt back into the little banks of frozen leaves along the fence. At the horizon to the north, a bulbous cone of picric clouds that get taller by the hour as the Methwin Andover borders mammoth effectuators force northern Massachusetts combined oxides north <laughs> against some sort of upper air resistance, it looks like. You can see little bits of glitter from broken monitor glass in the frozen stuff up by the fences behind six to nine, and one or two curved shards of floppy disk, and they're a troubling sight, Penn being absent amid troubling leg rumors, postal weight with two black eyes, and his nose covered with horizontal bandages that are starting to loosen and curl at the edges from sweat, and Otis P. Lord alleged to have come back from the emergency room at St. Elizabeth's last night with a Hitachi monitor over his head still, its removal with all the sharp teeth of the broken screen's glass pointing at key parts of Lord's throat, apparently calling for the sort of esoteric expertise you have to fly in by private medical jet, according to Axford. This is just the day after the day eschaton. Day after the eschaton. Which is funny because we read that eschaton seg- segment so in long ago. July. Summer, yeah. <laughs> they all get on the outside of three cones of Gatorade, bent or squatting, sucking wind, while Stitt stands at a sort of parade rest with his weatherman's pointer behind his back and shares overall impressions with the players on the morning's work thus far. Certain players are singled out for special mention or humiliation. Then more wind sprints. <laughs> then a brief like strategy clinic thing from Corbett Thorpe on how to approach shots down the line. Uh, on how approach shots down the line aren't always the very best tactic and why. <laughs> 
Corpse, a first-rate tennis mind, but his terrible stutter makes the boys so uncomfortable they have a hard time listening. Which takes us to end note 181. Uh, oh. Corbett Thorpe's sobriquet amongst the less kind kids is th- 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 as in corporate th- th- Thorpe. Yes. Back to the text. The whole first shifts on the eighth court for the final conditioning drills, which takes us to end note 182. Known also sometimes as pukers. <laughs> Back to the text. First are star drills. A dozen plus boys on either side of the net behind the baselines. Form a line. Go one at a time. Go. Run up the sideline, touch the net with your stick, then backwards to the outside corner of the service box, and then forward to touch the net again. Backward to the middle of the service box, forward to touch net. Back to the baseline's little jut of center line, up to net. Service box's other outside corner, net. Baseline's corner, net. Then turn and run like hell for the corner you started from. Stitt has a stopwatch. There's a janitorial bucket, which takes us to end note 183. The dull metal Kenkel and Brandt kind, not the white plastic industrial solvent buckets associated with Eschaton and yesterday's debacle. Mm-hmm. Back to the text. Janitorial bucket placed in the doubles alley by the finish point for potential distress. <laughs> they each do the star drill three times. Hal has 41 seconds and 38 and 48, which is average both for him and for any 17-year-old with a resting pulse rate in the high 50s. John Wayne's low of 33 occurs on his third star, and he stops dead at the finish point and always just stands there, never bending or walking off, walking it off. Stice gets a 29, and everyone gets very excited until Stitt says he was slow starting the watch, the arthritis in a thumb. Everyone but Wayne and Stice uses the wretch bucket in a sort of pro-formal way. 16-year-old Petropolis Khan, a.k.a. <laughs> WM for Wooly Mammoth because he's so hairy, gets a 60 and then a 59 and then pitches forward onto the hard surface and lies very still. Tony Nwonki tells people to walk around him. <laughs> the cardiovascular finale is Sidesides, conceived by Vandermeer in the BS60s and demonic in its simplicity. Again split into fours on eight courts. For the top 18s, pro-rector R. Dunkel at net with an armful of balls and more in a hopper beside him, hitting fungos, one to the forehand corner and then one to the backhand corner and then farther out to the forehand corner and so on and on. Helga Incondenza is expected to get a racket on each ball. For Stice and Wayne, the expectations are higher. A very unpleasant drill, fatigue-wise, and for Hal, also ankle-wise, what with all the stopping and reversing. Tennis is a lot of lateral running. Mm-hmm. Hal wears two bandages over a left ankle. He shaves way more often than his upper lip. Over the bandages goes an air stirrup inflatable ankle brace that's very lightweight, but looks a bit like a medieval torture implement. It was in a stop and reverse move, much like side to sides, which takes us to note 184. Moving fast in one direction and having the ball hit someplace behind you and having to stop, try to stop in reverse direction very quickly is known as a wrong foot or contrapied, and it results in a fair number of injuries to junior knees and ankles. Ironically enough, it's Hal's, since the explosion, who's known as the real ETA master of placement and opponent yanking around and the old contrapied. Also a real insert, a quick insertion that Dennis Vandermeer, father of side to sides, was a Dutch immigrants low level pro who became a major pro coach and tennis education theory guru on the same level with like a Harry Hopman or Vic Braden. Okay. okay. <laughs> Back to the text. Uh, it was in a stop and reverse move, much like side to sides, that Hal tore all the soft left ankle tissue he then owned at 15 in his ankle at Atlanta's Easter Bowl in the third round, which he was losing anyway. Dunkel goes fairly easy on Hal, at least on the first two go-arounds because of the ankle. Hal's going to be seated in at least the top four at the Whataburger Invitational in a couple weeks. And woe to the pro-rector who lets Hal get hurt the way Hal let some of his little buddies get hurt yesterday. (laughs) What's potentially demonic about side-to-sides is that the duration of the drill and pace and angle of the fungos to be chased down from side-to-side are entirely at the pro-rector's discretion. Pro-rector Rick Dunkel, a former 16s doubles runner-up at Junior Wimbledon and a decent enough guy, the son of some kind of plastic packaging systems tycoon on the (laughs) South Shore, tied with Thorpe for brightest of the pro-rectors, more or less by default, regarded as kind of a mystic because he refers people sometimes to Lyle and has been observed sitting at community gatherings with his eyes closed but not sleeping. (laughs) But the point is, a decent enough guy but not much into any kind of exchange of quarter. He seems to have received instructions to put the particular hurt on orthostice this morning. And by his third go around, Stice is trying to weep without breath and mewing for his ants. <laughs> Which takes us to end note 185. 
Stice's legendary dysfunctional parents are in Kansas, but he's got two vaguely lesbianic maiden aunts or great aunts or something up in Chelsea who keep bringing him foods the staff won't let him eat. (laughs) (laughs) My aunts. (laughs) Back to the text. But anyway, everybody goes through side to sides three times. Even Petropolis Khan staggers through them, who, after stars, had had to be sort of lugged over by Stefan Wagenacht and Jeff Wax with his Nikes dragging behind him and his head swinging free on his neck and given kind of a swing set shove to get started. <laughs> How feels for Khan, who's not fat but is in the shack-type mold, very thick and solid, except always carrying extra weight in terms of leg and back hair and who always tires easily no matter how hard he conditions? Khan makes it through, but stays bent over the distress bucket long after the third go-around, staring into it, and stays that way while everybody else removes more soaked bottom layers of clothing and accepts clean towels from a halfway house part-time black girl with a towel cart and picks up balls. Which takes us to EndNote... 186. Serious juniors never pick up tennis balls with their hands. Males tend to bend down and dribble the balls up with the face of their stick. There are various little substyles of this. Females and some younger males, less into bending, stand and trap the ball between their shoe and racket and bring their foot up in a quick little twitch, stick bringing the ball up with it. Males who do this trap the ball against the inside of the shoe while females trap the ball against the outside of the shoe, which looks a bit more feminine. Reverse snobism at ETA has never reached the point of people bending way down and picking balls up manually, which, like wearing a visor, is regarded as the true sign of the novice or hack. I'm familiar with all those ball picking up techniques. No visors. Uh, uh, yes. It is 0720 hours, and they are through with the active part of dawn drills. Nuangi at the edge of the hillside is whistling the next shift over for opening sprints. Stitt shares more overall impressions as minimum wage aides dispense Kleenex and paper cones. Nwangi's reedy voice carries. He's uh, telling the bees he wishes to see nothing but assholes and elbows on these prints. <laughs> it's unclear to hell what this might connote. <laughs> the A players have formed these ragged rows behind the baseline again, and Stitt paces back and forth. I'm seeing sluggish drilling by sluggards. <laughs> Not meaning insults, this is the fact. Motions are gone through. Barely minimal efforts. Cold, yes? The cold hands and nose with mucus. Thoughts on getting through, going in, hot showers, water very hot, a meal. The thought is are drifting toward the comfort of ending. Too cold to demand the total, yes? Master Chu, too cold for tennis at the high level, yes? Chu, it does seem pretty cold out, sir. Ah, pacing back. and I don't know why I decided to do, to do the accent again. Yeah, it the, feels right. Yeah. Uh, pacing back and forth with about faces at every 10th step, stopwatch around his neck pipe and pouch and pointer in his hands behind his back, nodding to himself, clearly wishing he had a third hand so he could stroke his white chin, (laughs) pretending to ruminate. Every AM essentially the same, except when Stitt does the females and the males get dressed down by Delint. All the older boys' eyes are glazed with repetition. Hal's tooth gives off little electric shivers with each in-breath, and he feels slightly unwell. When he moves his head slightly, the monitor glass bits uh, glitter shifts... When he moves his head slightly, the monitor glass bits' glitter shifts and dances along the opposite fence in a sort of sickening way. Ah, turns crisply toward them, looking briefly skyward. And Ven is hot, too pretty hot for the total self on the court. The other hand of the spectrum, ach, is always something that is too. Master in condenser who cannot quickly get behind Lob's descent so Vade can move forward into overhand, <laughs> which takes us... And note 187, NB, Europeans and Australians refer to overheads as overhands, while South Africans sometimes also call them pointers. <laughs> Back to the text. Forward into overhand, please tell your thinking. It is always cold or hot, yes? A small smile. Spend our general observation out there, sir. So then, then so, Master Chu from California's temperance regions. Chu brings down his hanky. I guess we have to learn to adjust to conditions, sir, I believe is what you're saying. A full sharp half turn to face the group. Is what I'm not saying, young Lamont Chu, is why you cease to seem to give total effort of self since you begin with the clipping pictures of great professional figures for your adhesive tape and vase. No? Because privileged gentlemen and boys, I'm saying, is always something that is too cold, hot, wet, and dry. 
very bright sun and you see the purple dots, very bright heart and you have no salt. Outside is wind, the insects which like the sweat. Inside is smell of heaters, echo being jammed in together. Tarp is overclose to baseline, not enough of room. Bells inside clubs which ring the hour too loudly to distract. Clunk of machines vomiting sweet cola for coins. Inside roof too low for the lob. Bad lighting, so. Or outside, the bad surface. Oh no, look, no. Crab, crabgrass and cracks along baseline. <laughs> Who could give the total with crabgrass? Look, here's low net, high net. Opponents, relatives, heckle. Opponent cheats. Linesman in semifinal is impaired or cheats. You hurt. You have the injury. Bad knee and back. Hurt groin area from not stretching as asked. Aches of elbow. Eyelash and eye. The throat is sore. A true pretty girl in audience watching. Who could play like this? Big crowd overwhelming or too small to inspire. Always something. Something, excuse me. His turns as he paces are crisp and used to punctuate. Adjust. Adjust? Stays the same. No. Is not stays the same? It is cold, it is wind, cold and wind is the world. Outside, yes, <laughs> on the tennis court, you is the player. This is not where there is cold wind, I am saying. Different world inside. World built inside cold outside world of wind breaks the wind, shelters the player. You, if you stay the same, stay inside. Pacing gradually faster, the turns becoming pirouetic. God, they have to listen to this every day. <laughs> the older kids stare straight ahead. Some of the younger follow every move of the pointer with wide eyes. Trevor Axford is bent at the waist and moving his head slightly, trying to get the sweat dripping off his face to spell something out on the surface. <laughs> Stitt is silent for two fast about faces, ranging before them, tapping his jaw with the pointer. Not ever, I think this is adjusting. To what this adjusting? This world inside is the same always, if you stay, always, if you stay there. This is what we are making, no? New type citizen, not of cold and wind outside. <laughs> Citizens of this sheltering second world, we are working to show you every dawn, no? To make your introduction. The big buddies translate shit into accessible language for the littler kids is a big part of the assignment. Uh, borders of court for singles, Mr. Rader, are what? What? <laughs> 24 by 8, sir, sounding hoarse and thin. So, second world without cold or purple dots are bright for you is 20.8 meters. Eight, I think, 0.2 meters. Yes? In that world is joy because there is shelter of something else. A purpose past sluggily self and complaints about uncomfort. I'm speaking not to just Lamont Chu of the temperance world. You have a chance to occur playing, no? To make for you the second world that there is always the same. There is, in this world, you, and in the hand, a tool. There is a ball. There is opponent with his tool. And always only two of you, you and this other, inside the lines, with always a purpose to keep this world alive, yes? The pointer motions through all this become too orchestral and intricate to describe. You are, you are witness to a great tennis becoming. <laughs> this second world inside the lines, yes? Is this adjusting? This is not adjusting. This is not adjusting to ignore cold and wind and tired. <laughs> not ignoring as if is no cold, is no wind. No cold wind where you occur. No, not occur, not adjust to conditions. Makes this second world inside the world. Here there are no conditions. <laughs> Looks around. So put a lid on it about the fucking cold, says Talin, with his t clipboard under his arm and his strangler-sized hands in his <laughs> pockets, hopping a little in place. Strangler-sized hands. Uh, Shtit is looking... I don't think I realize Dalin has big hands. He's like Jack Reacher. <laughs> Reacher? I hardly even know her. Uh, Shtit is looking around. That's the only thing I know about those books is that I've always seen people like clip things of being like obsessed with how big Jack Reacher's hands are. And it's like all these descriptions from the book and like Reacher, uh, Jack reached out with his hands, which are as large as dinner plates. <laughs> yeah, Reacher, the size of a baseball glove. Reacher reached out with his uh, trash can lid size hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And gently stroked her forehead. Stitt is looking around. Like most Germans outside popular entertainment, he gets quieter when he wants to impress or menace. 
There are very few shrill Germans, actually. <laughs> if it is hot, he says softly, hard to hear because of the rising wind, difficult for you to move between the two worlds, from hot, cold, hot wind and sun to this inside place inside the lines, that is always the same, he says. Seeming now to study the weatherman's pointer, he holds down and out with both hands. It can be arranged to you gentlemen not to leave ever here, this world inside the lines of court. You know, can stay here until there is citizenship right here. The pointer is pointed at the spots they're standing at, breathing and blotting their faces and blowing their noses. Can today put up Teshtar Lung for world shelter, sleep bags, meals brought to you, never cross <laughs> the lines, never leave the court, study here, a bucket for hygienic needs. At Gymnasium Kaiterslautern, where I am privileged, <laughs> a boy who whining about cold wind, we live inside tennis court for months to learn to live inside. Very lucky days where they bring us meals. Not possible to cross a line for months of living. Left-hander Brian Van Vleck picks a bad moment to break wind. <laughs> Shit shrugs, half turning away from them to look off somewhere. Or else leave here into large external world where is cold and pain without purpose or tool, Eyelash and eye and pretty girl. Not very anymore about how to occur. Looks around. No one is a prisoner here. Who would like to escape into large world? Master Shvini? Little <laughs> eyes down. Mr. Coyle, with always two co-worlds to give total. <laughs> Coyle <laughs> studies the vasculature on the inside of his elbow with deep interest as he shakes his head. John Wayne is joggling his head around like a raggedy Andy head, stretching out the neck hardware. John Wayne is notoriously tight and can't touch anything below the knee with straight legs during stretches. Mr. Peter Beak was always veeping to come home on the telephone. The 12-year-old says, not me, sir, several times. Hal very subtly shoots in a small plug of Kodiak. Aubrey DeLint has his arms crossed over the clipboard and is looking around beadily like a crow. Hal and Condenza has an almost obsessive dislike for DeLint, whom he tells Mario he sometimes cannot quite believe is even real and tries to get to the side of to see whether DeLint has a true Z coordinate or is just a cutout or projection. <laughs> the, kind, the kids of the next shift are walking downhill and sprinting back up and walking down, warrior whooping without conviction. <laughs> the other male pro-rectors are drinking cones of Gatorade clustered in the little pavilion, feet up on patio chairs, Dunkles and Watson's eyes closed. Neil Hardigan, in his traditional Tahitian shirt and Gauguin motif sweater, has to stay sitting down to fit under the Gatorade awning. <laughs> um, sim uh, simple shtit shrugs, so the upraised pointer seems to stab at the sky. Hit, he suggests. Move. Travel lightly. Occur. Be here. Not in bed or shower or over Baconsteam in the mind. <laughs> Baconsteam is one word. Be here in total. Is nothing else. Learn. Try. Drink your green juice. Perform the butterfly exercises on all eight of these courts, please, to warm down. Mr. DeLint, please to bring them back down. Make sure of stretching of the groins. <laughs> Gentlemen, hit tennis balls. Fire at your will. Use a head. You are not arms. Arm in the real tennis is like wheels of vehicles. Wheels of vehicles, not engine. Legs, not either. There is where you apply for citizenship in second world, Mr. Consciousness of Angle and Condensa, our revenant. <laughs> Hal can lean out and spit in a way that isn't insolent. Head, sir. Excuse? The human head, sir, if I got your thrust. Where I'm going to occur as a player. The game's two heads is one world. One world, sir. Shtit sweeps the pointer in an ironic morendo arc and laughs aloud. Play. Nice. Those are drills. So those are drills. Okay, so that entire segment is like one An hour of their time. No, I was just gonna say like it, it uh, in my imagined adaptation is like one ninety second montage where you just mm. hear that shit uh, monologue over the entirety of it, and it starts with the elegaic, uh, like slow slow motion shots of them jogging up and down the hill, and then you know like a. a a very symmetrically lined up drone shot over the tennis courts of mm -hmm. them all like lined up in lines. Mm -hmm. And then as it cross cuts through everything, you know, the cutting gets faster and more chaotic and more intense. And eventually you're just doing, you know, like one second inserts of, you know, a sneaker touching baseline, stopwatch clicking ball hitting baseline, uh, crushing a, a Gatorade cone in your hand. Yeah. Uh, running off to the, into the, the forest, you know, 
faster, faster, faster as a, a Stitz monologue um, comes to a crescendo. You know who would be good at directing this? Wes Anderson. Yes, of course. Yeah. That's like his bread and his bread and butter. Yeah, if only Michael Schur would uh, give up the uh, <laughs> the rights to the the book. Oh, practicing sucks. Practicing does suck. Did just okay. So you had sp- thoughts on sports in school? I I really never played. The last time I played an organized sport in any significant capacity was, I believe, sixth grade. Okay. Yeah. No, I was I was thinking because I played one year of um high school soccer. Because I played soccer since I was in kindergarten, right. and I told my mother that I was like, I would like to do the musical this year, and she's like, try one year of high school soccer to see whether you like it. And of course, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I hated everyone on the Parents team. Parents are always trying to encourage you that if, if you try it for one year, you might like it. Here, here's the here's the thing about parenting: the sunk cost fallacy is really strong in parents. Yeah, of like, you know, you've done it for so long. Why stop now? And it's like because I hate it. Yeah, and I'm not going to play in college, and I'm not going to get into college for like if I play yeah, for like, like soccer. Yeah. yeah, it's not. Although it's not you were recruited deal. for a basketball team. I was recruited from Bard to play <laughs> basketball. One of my most proud, one of my most exciting uh, um, uh, <laughs> emails of my life was getting an email from the Bard sports department after I had gotten um, uh, accepted uh, or I got early action, not early decision. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you know, we need basketball players. And I was like, I just had a vision of like, I could go to Bard. I could smoke cigarettes. I could smoke cloves. I could smoke pot. You would be I like, could make how? art. I could like hang out with my cool friends. But then I would also like be like a nascent D three like art school basketball, basketball? star. You're very glamorous. Uh, it it you would could see it all. Doors, you, you know? could see it all laid out in front of you. I could. And then I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> I don't want to be. Do I, don't I, wanna... su- I suck at basketball, and I'm I'm so like violently competitive. I would have gotten. It would have been awful. You would have been ejected from the team for starting basketball fights. But. Anyway, high school high school soccer had preseason, which yeah. was two weeks at the end of summer vacation, where you still had to go for two days uh, at fucking at the high school field. It was like two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon. It was hot as balls, mm-hmm. and I've j- I've never worked so hard in my life. Yeah, it, and it was just you know a fucking guy telling us to you know do push ups and run faster. Why are you doing push ups for soccer? You gotta get all strong and I don't know. You can't even use your hands. You do throw ins. Throw you if I the ball gets so. out on the side, you throw it in. So you do need strong arms. Um, yeah, no, it was just I I don't know even what what to say. It was just like it was awful and. <laughs> <laughs> like why is playing lacrosse it just like it sucks so bad <laughs> it's uh, sorry it's just like a, such an anti-social way of being where like yeah you're n- it doesn't feel like communal it just feels individual and shitty yeah it feels like collective punishment or something um and even yeah because especially for the morning stuff it is like that specific kind of anti-social i guess the suffering together does b- build a certain kind of solidarity but also you're just so tired and isolated and like self-focused on like having to endure this uh um you know this physical activity oh god yeah kill me and correct me if i'm wrong and maybe if anyone who who listens to this podcast has played tennis or is familiar tennis you can cor- you can let me know they're they're training in boston mm-hmm. they're training outside uh-huh. for most of the year mm-hmm. boston has extremely vi- violently changing seasons where the summer is extremely hot and the winter is extremely cold yeah most places, when you are playing in professional tennis, mm-hmm. you are playing in the spring and summer in at least decent weather. Yes. Or you're playing, I don't think there's a lot of indoor tennis on the pro circuit, or you're playing in different locations in the globe. So, like, you play in Australia in the winter. Yeah. Um, so, there's something that feels almost masochistic or sadistic yeah. about making these kids train outside when they're never going to need to play in, like, frigid snowy weather ah but yes the but point it is trains to transcends you. you transcends the weather so you occur so you occur the lines the, yes. of the, the court so it's like it's one of those things that feels unnecessary but like are they yeah is that truly is that is that ultimately helping them to be better players of trying to build this sort of wall between you and when is suffering? wimbledon hmm? when is wimbledon summer 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 I know that. Well, I mean, heat is something you're definitely gonna have to endure. They do like tennis tournaments in like Dubai. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't. Know. I don't know. It, yeah. Heat. Yeah. Heat more than which I think one of the most famous tennis academies is in Florida. That's where Andre Agassi went. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um. Which, oh god. Which also sounds miserable. Humid. humid yeah. God damn. Ugh. 
Um, There's no good place to play sports. I mean, I guess that's the <laughs> thing about training for sports is that you're gonna have to you're gonna push yourself to the limit. You go to no the extreme what. so that in you know we we would run we would do like five mile runs sometimes for lacrosse so that you could run like a mile yeah, in yeah. the game and you do more so did that you run you, with your sticks. We did not run with our sticks. So ooh, you know what? Wait. Uh, I'll have to ask my sisters. We might have sometimes run with our sticks. I feel like I remember seeing lacrosse guys, you know, jogging on the fields with their sticks. Maybe we ran shorter runs with our sticks and like the long, like five was the most we would go. Yeah. Um, but we were running in the snow with the, uh, just take me back to like the shittiest things about sports where like the season started in, I think late March yeah. and there would be two feet of snow on the ground sometimes that we would be <laughs> running in. And then by the end it would be 95 degrees. <laughs> I feel I feel the, very the, good that I don't have to do that stuff if anymore. If the season lasts from like March to June, <laughs> yeah, which in Vermont is like yeah, yeah. you know an extremely violent spring. Mm-hmm. Anyway, th- <laughs> this is all to say I and you know we just talked about in the, in the previous episode talking Don talking about the process of getting sober and like having all these painful memories come back mm-hmm. to him and how like you need you can't go around pain or under pain like you have to go through it you have and to it let makes it wash you over you and through you better and i'm like yeah just pain sucks <laughs> pain, pain, pain. is if fear is <laughs> oh no wait never mind what? I was I was I, I was fucking up the uh the quote because I was imagining the drink that we wanted to make at our Dune flavor themed bar called Fears the Painkiller. Fears the Painkiller. Uh, beer, beer is the vibe chiller. Beer is the vibe chiller. Uh, but um, that uh, uh never mind. No, now this doesn't make any sense. Pain, what I was just gonna say is not pain the fear killer. <laughs> pain pain could be the fear killer. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess the, the, the bookend of these or the, the complement of these two segments is a compl- or is something about enduring. Yes. You know. Right. You um, gotta you gotta, I yeah. guess, because the alternative is to, to not. To not. But I mean for the kids, it's like you kind of get the sense that especially through Hal, you know, you sense this kind of deep ambivalence towards this whole thing. Right. Um, and it, I guess we don't get that much insight into uh, the uh, how the other kids uh, feel about this whole process mm-hmm. or the pro- possibility of achievement other than uh, who's the kid who has who obsessively clips out stars. Lamont and, Chu. Lamont Chu. Yeah. Uh, who, you know, confessed that his his investment in this is more than anything about being famous, mm-hmm. uh, which is. You know, that is a goal and that could be achieved through this, but it isn't really uh, related to the task of playing tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think we really have that much of an insight onto the other kids and how they feel about the game, the process. the um, Which you can tell maybe from the whi- the whining that they also think it sucks. Yeah, but they're also kids and will <laughs> they are complain kids. about anything. Yes. Like theoretically, <laughs> deep down, at least some of them might have, you know, the the top four seeds in the academy that you're John Wayne's who also was in the top four seed. Uh, mm-hmm. um, I forget, I forget all their names because they're also goofy. Yeah. Uh, might have coil. S- coil. Yeah. 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 Coil. coil. Uh, might have some like legitimate expectation of, of real success or career that motivates them, but we don't really see any of that interiority yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so all you see is the, uh, the whining and the endurance and the, the unpleasantness of the, this actual process. Yeah. Uh, and the delinquency. Yeah. But that is, those are all things that are natural to being a, a teenager. Yeah. Trying to do chew while you're doing your chewing tobacco while oh, you're doing blah. your morning drills. You, have, you ever, have you ever tried chewing tobacco? No, God. Me neither. That sounds awful. It does not appeal. No. Uh. Um, gross. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. It's 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 hard. Well, of course, as I was saying, we get a, beat, a little bit of a beat on how, but we don't really see anybody else. Yeah. There's, I think it's interesting the like, I feel like they're, what they're maybe trying to show is like there's a fine line between like letting the pain and uh, shittiness of drills kind of turn you into like a robot yeah. who is not attached to your feelings and like sh- sort of shuts down emotionally. Yes. And then also maybe doing it where you achieve like the zen like state of having everything pass pass through you what does they say reverse what did he call the reverse buddhism of total worry total worry yeah, <laughs> yeah well okay so I'm that's familiar like, with that state i try not <laughs> to do that anymore so that's like i think if you were the kid or if i was trying to approach the drill thing the uh the way the easiest way to do it would be to pass into some kind of like fugue state where you're like i am just i i am not here mm-hmm. i am unconscious yeah I have done these enough that mm-hmm. I can move through them adequately with zero presence. 
but Shit is saying, no, 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 you must be completely present. You yes. must, you must uh, live and so and experience these so that your entire life, your entire consciousness, the entire universe takes place within the field of the tennis court. Right. Um, <laughs> and be, a, you know, of total awareness. Yeah. Which seems, you Hot know, that is the transcendent <laughs> yes. version of this as opposed to total avoidance. Right. And I know they, they kind of portray Stitt as like a fascist, but they're, mm-hmm. again, the, fi- the fine line between like a, a fascist sadism and, uh, yeah. you know, the, the Zen uh, to- total consciousness and total, yeah. re- total acceptance. Awareness of, uh, you know, total link between, you know, mind, body, society, mm-hmm. each yeah. other. Yeah. Right. There was one... I will, I'll never forget this playing lacrosse probably my senior year we were punished because that that's the thing if you're not you're not trying hard enough or someone fucks something up or like your, your head's not in it the coach will punish you with drills and we it was um I think it was something where you like sprinted sprinted there was a square denoted with cones mm-hmm. and we had to sprint on two of the sides and jog on the other two. Right. And it was just indefinite. It was mm-hmm. like, do it until I tell you not to. <laughs> oh, and God. we did it for so long. And I did like, it was one of the only times in my life where I've snapped into like it first it sucked and then it really sucked. And then something happened where I was like, I can do this forever. Like yes. I've, I have, um, I have tra- transcended my body <laughs> yeah. by getting into like a fugue state where I'm like, okay, fu- fucking whatever. We like, let's do this for the rest of practice. It's fine. You're like fry with the 300 cups of coffee. It was like fry with the 300. That's exactly how I felt. I, I true. I was like, it is no longer punishment. I, I rather, I understand the punishment. Yes. Well, I that finally is finally tried. That hard is the enough. thing is that they got what they wanted out of you, which is to, to get to the, uh, the pain don't hurt mentality of mm-hmm. like of like you know what it I've I've I'm beyond whether <laughs> I'm beyond whether this sucks or not nah. <laughs> that is irrelevant anymore the only thing that is that is relevant is my pure capacity yeah I've been reading um old, that is like yeah so you know sometimes I do my like I do my shitty daily like two mile jogs and even though I've been you know dr- jogging pretty consistently over the entirety of quarantine yeah. and even before you know i've always been like a bit of a, a city jogger yeah i never get any fucking better on it but <laughs> s- but some days some days i do feel like even as i'm struggling to get through two miles of a jog i feel like i'm on that precipice on the on the edge on the very film that maybe like maybe i could just jog a marathon like right now yeah no that that is that is the that's the thing that's the, yeah. the mind body thing of yeah. just being like i i can i can beast myself yeah <laughs> like you know if if there was somebody behind me with a gun pointed to the back of my head like i could do i have it within me to do it well, there's there's the fascist thing again <laughs> yeah that's that has been done by by fascist two people yeah r- r- run every day until i tell you to stop and i will shoot you <laughs> yes. stop. that i mean again that's the that's the it, that's the interesting presence of shit is yeah. as a representation representation of that of the you know i feel like dfw is trying to find the the 21st century idea of sport and he's included the 20th century idea yeah. of sport in Gym- there gymnasium do you think if <laughs> gymnasium it, <laughs> do you think if you made it a prestige enough project schwarzenegger would do it it would probably be like three scenes total if you did I, again i'm imagining this is like a 10 episode miniseries mm-hmm. you know right yeah. it's the scene with mario where he's driving around in the little cart mm-hmm. it's this scene uh, and then there's probably at least one more big shit scene. Yeah. I mean, we're what halfway through the, not even halfway through the book. Um, we're getting, believe it or not, we are we getting are close approaching to halfway. halfway yeah. We're on page 461. Oh, well, we got to get to at least 500, right? And we got to get to at least 500. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's this whole, this edition is, oh, wait, hold on. Sorry. I mean, it's, it's still shocking to be like. Like halfway feels nine hundred and eighty one pages of the main text. Okay, so, so I think we are. Are we halfway? No, you get to have to get to four hundred and ninety. Okay, wait. Forty nine times two is nine is ninety eight. Oh. Nine hundred and eighty pages of okay. the main text. So we're 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 really close. We, yeah, we'll get it in the next three weeks. Woo! <laughs> uh, I mean that'll feel like such an accomplishment, but then it is very funny to imagine like oh, as many weeks as we've done this, we now have that many that weeks. many weeks to go, if not more, depending on if we miss things or yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wonderful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I feel like we haven't we haven't done this in a while, but thanks for listening. Yeah. Uh, you know, shoot us a if you're if you have any questions or requests or comments, uh, we do have an email for the pod. It's theinfinitecastpod at gmail.com. 
Um, or DM. I check my DMs. Yeah, we do. Yeah, check our DMs. We get occasional uh, shout outs from people. It's very nice. I think I still think that there are about a thousand of you following along with this. If I go back and look at the viewership stats pretty regularly, about six weeks back from mm-hmm. whatever episode we're at, that episode hits about a thousand mm-hmm. listeners. So, uh, and then that tends to go forward as we go forward. So I think mm-hmm. that there are about a thousand of you. I think that some of you are a few weeks behind, which is totally fine. This is obviously not something that you need to like stick current with. <laughs> no. uh, the, you know, as we said, you know, last week, the process is really the joy. Um, but which is all just to say that if you are one of the thousand weirdos listening to this, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and consider yourself in a very elite squad. You yeah, know? Dude, you're the A, the A squad. <laughs> yeah, you are the. A, that's what we call our listeners, the A squad. <laughs> um, and we appreciate you. And, yes. You know, thanks for sticking along with this weird thing. Yes. And, you know, send us an email or reach out or. I don't know. Rate, review, subscribe. <laughs> be, I haven't actually checked the ratings of, of this podcast. It we are be funny. We are we, highly rated, and we've gotten a few reviews, and they're all very, very nice. That's nice. Um, but honestly, if yeah. if someone review, you know, gives us the old one star and says this sucks, I hate this book. I understand. I didn't write it, so yeah, <laughs> not our fault. Not our fault. <laughs> Take one. Write a letter two. to the estate of David Foster Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right. Shall we sign off for this week? Hang in there, folks. Hang in. Don't quit before the miracle. One day at a time. Bye. Bye.